Let us turn in the word of God to, number, to Mark chapter 12. As we move on, we are verses 35 through 40 this morning. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. Remember what the Bible says, God says. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Let's pray. O oh Lord, direct us from the words of Christ to our own hearts and our own lives. How are we seeing Christ as the Lord, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who reigns in heaven? until all his enemies are placed under his feet. We ask, O oh God, that our hearts would be those who just mount up with gladness in the grace that we have in knowing that Jesus is the Christ minister to our hearts through his words this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus is now turning the tables. Instead of being asked questions, he is going to ask the questions. During this day in the temple, he has been bombarded with questions from different Jewish parties to try to trap him so the Jewish Sanhedrin can actually destroy him. He has fielded questions from the Sanhedrin themselves, the Pharisees and the Herodians, the Sadducees, as well as a certain particular scribe an expert in the Jewish law. 
Only the scribes seemed to have or show Jesus any respect as he discussed with Christ, what is the greatest commandment? As Christ and the scribes' discussion takes place in the temple, a place that Christ has already labeled the den of robbers, the scribe located the commandment of loving God and neighbor in the context of the Old Testament prophet Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. A heart that is totally committed to loving God and neighbor surpasses, surpasses a human hand delivering sacrifices and burnt offerings. Yes, out of the heart flows the issues of life. And because such a wise answer reaches the ears of Jesus, Jesus said to the scribe that he is not far from the kingdom of God. None of the previous parties in their opposition to Jesus receive such a grand response in a sense from Jesus. Jesus says he is close to the kingdom of God, but we must remember Jesus is not saying that he is there yet. He is there yet. The scribe's view of love needs one more absolutely necessary ingredient to be saved. His heart needs union with Christ's love for God and neighbor, who is the final sacrifice and burnt offering for cleansing the human heart dominated by sin. The scribe still needs regeneration of the Holy Spirit in his heart, a commitment to Jesus Christ alone for his salvation. As Christ finishes this response to the scribe, Mark notes that the questions from these parties ceased. Christ's responses were so amazing that no one dared to ask him any more questions. Verse 34 of our previous text. So as we pick up on our text this morning, Jesus is now teaching in the temple and raised this question to his hearers. Yes, he is now turning the tables. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David, verse 35. Now do not miss how Christ proceeds in verse 36. He references David himself by quoting Psalm 110, verse one. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Based on referencing David in Psalm 110, Jesus now provides his follow-up statement and his follow-up question now 
David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Verse 37. Now once again, congregation, come into the movement of Mark's narrative to grasp the full impact of Christ's teaching for the benefit of your life, your life in Jesus Christ. First, we have just left a gracious civil discussion between an individual scribe and Jesus in which Christ remarked to repeat, the scribe is not far from the kingdom of God. Now Christ addresses all those who have ears to hear in the temple about the core and the essence of the kingdom of God. What is the core and the essence of the kingdom of God? The Messiah Christ is the core and the essence of the kingdom of God. Are we listening? Are we attentive to Christ's question? He is referencing David's prophetic text about the Messiah who will come eventually out of David's family tree. Secondly, we need to note that the scribes in mass here teach that the coming Messiah is the son of David. It's the son of David based on Psalm 110 verse 1. In fact, do not miss that Christ underlines the fact that David writes this truth about the coming of the Christ himself from the Messiah as the Messiah by the inspiration of, notice that in the text, by the Holy Spirit, verse 36. Furthermore, Jesus is not inventing the interpretation, this interpretation of Psalm 110, verse 1. It is the standard scribal and Jewish interpretation of this verse. Even outside Psalm 110, the scribes tied the Messiah to the life of David. For example, 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 through 16, especially verse 16. Moreover, the scribes held to the testimony of the prophets in Israel concerning the connection between David and the coming of the Messiah. I have on your outline numerous passages that you can reference and look at this week in terms of that connection. Thirdly, Christ the Messiah is ready to meet and discuss the traditional scribal interpretation of Psalm 110 on their own turf, on their own turf. They maintain that the Messiah is the son of David. So how is the Messiah his son when David calls him Lord? How does David's son become Lord. <laughs> well, 
There are a few aspects of Christ's question that need clarity here for us. First of all, the idea that the Messiah is referred to as the son of David does not become a popular phrase until the middle of the first century before Christ's birth. After all, if you look closely at the text, the phrase does not appear in Psalm 110. But secondly, it is crucial for us to understand the term Lord in the first phrase there in Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord. This is crucial in understanding the text. And I plead with you to stay with me on this this morning or else you will not understand what this text means what this phrase means. The first appearance of Lord in the phrase is the covenant name for Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. By virtue of the Holy Spirit, David is receiving, David is receiving insight into a conversation Okay, notice the word said to my Lord, a conversation between two lords. The first Lord is speaking, who is speaking, excuse me, is committed to his covenant faithfulness that he initiated and promised by grace to fall in humanity all the way back in the garden. Genesis 3.15. In the seed of the woman will come the Messiah, the God-man to crush Satan, death and sin. Could it be that the second Lord in the phrase is the Messiah who is to come as the fulfillment of the covenant of grace? Well, the second use of the term Lord is not Yahweh is not Yahweh, the covenant name for God. Very important now. The second, the second Lord in the phrase is the term Adonai, the name for God, meaning ruler, God's kingship. The second use of the term, meaning ruler king as God, makes sense, doesn't it, with the rest of verse 1 of the psalm. The Lord king is going to be seated on the right hand of Yahweh until all the king's enemies are placed under his feet in judgment. So in view of these two terms, Lord, we can say that the first phrase of the psalm is like this. The covenant God, Yahweh, Lord, said to the ruler God, Lord Adonai. You got it? <laughs> That's what's going on. 
So in view of the two terms, Lord, we can say that the first phrase of the, this is like this. The covenant God said to the ruler God, there is a covenant bond between Yahweh and Adonai. That is between God the Father and God the Son to secure a people unto themselves by means of the covenant of grace. Now, as we have said, there is no dispute among the scribes that the second Lord is a reference to the coming of the Messiah ruler king who is coming to reign forever over Israel. Well, in terms of the popular notion that the Messiah is the son of David, Christ would like an answer from the scribes as to how the ruler king Messiah, who is God, who is God, Adonai, can still be the son of David. How can God be the son of David? So fourthly, Christ is telling his hearers that they need to comprehend that the Adonai Messiah is presently teaching them what David in the spirit wrote. Yes, they can call the coming Messiah the son of David with respect to his earthly lineage. The Messiah will be born in the family line of David. Indeed, Mark's narrative has established that Christ is the son of David when the phrase first appears in the gospel upon the lips of Bartimaeus, if you recall, when we preached on him in chapter 10, verse 47. And secondly, by the crowd as he, Jesus entered Jerusalem in chapter 11, verse 10. But the Messiah is also ruler God, Adonai. It is this second aspect ruler God that must be affirmed and confessed in the heart if one is going to truly embrace and rest upon the full identity of Christ, the God-man for saving faith. Ask yourself as you're listening to this text, as you're hearing Christ's words, is that you? Mark tells us that the entire crowd heard him gladly. <laughs> Remember throughout Mark, we are told how the Jewish establishment feared the people. That point comes to a head in this incident. The common people are glad when the establishment is put on the spot here by Jesus. It is like a protest and Jesus is leading the charge for them. But don't get your hopes up. 
Don't get your hopes up. Like the individual scribe that stated, that Christ stated, who is not far from the kingdom of God, the crowd is at least just as far as that scribe is from the kingdom of God, even though their hearts are glad as to what they are hearing. You understand, don't you? It is saving faith that takes one from being far from the kingdom of God into being actually in the kingdom of God. Well, let us get more specific as to why the crowd is glad about Jesus' teaching here. They are pleased that Jesus has asked the scribes a question in which they, <laughs> those scribes are now puzzled. They can't seem to answer. Jesus has them on the ropes. Some scholars see Jesus' question like a riddle. Can they figure it out and answer the riddle? David calls him Lord. So, how is he his son? Can you answer that riddle? <laughs> Mark says nothing as to whether the scribes attempted to answer Christ. We know from Matthew's gospel that they were not able to respond. They are dumbfounded. Meanwhile, the crowd, they are glad. After all, John's, Jesus' description of the scribes is right on target, which the everyday Jew knew well. Look at verses 38 through verse 40. During his teaching here, he warned the common people to beware of the scribes right in the midst of this. <laughs> During his teaching, he's warning them of that. Why? They love attention. <laughs> the scribes, they love attention. They love to parade their authority in supposed respect before others. They wear long white and colored robes. They are so proud of the greetings they receive in the marketplace. They got the best seats in the synagogue, in the seats of honor at feasts. These are the pompous religious leaders who like to lord it over others by devouring widows' houses. And they fancy themselves with long, pious, sounding prayers before others. After all, the scribes have been a menace against Christ's ministry throughout Mark's gospel. So as the crowd registers glee for Jesus, exposing the religious hypocrisy of the scribes, nevertheless, there is something deeper, don't miss this, there is something deeper in which the scribes and the crowd share. There's something deeper that they both share about the Messiah who is to come. 
This point is absolutely crucial in understanding what David is prophesying about the Psalm, about the Messiah, excuse me, in Psalm 110.1. Now what do they share? What does the crowd and the scribes share about the Messiah? The crowd and the scribes like almost every Jew, including Christ's disciples, have been hoping for, longing for, here comes the continual theme in the Jewish community at this point, long looking for a political, national Messiah King. The restoration of the kingship of David and the sovereignty of Israel in the world would come from the Messiah King. The crowd and the scribes are looking for the restoration of an earthly kingdom established on earth, which accomplishes national political goals. But there is one huge problem with that interpretation based on just this one single verse that Christ places before us this morning. Psalm 110 verse 1. Their interpretation of a political national Messiah King is wrong. It is dead wrong. If I can pick up again on the movement of the text, go back to 1227. Just as the Jewish establishment did not know how to interpret the baptism of John the Baptist, paying taxes, marriage and the resurrection, they really do not have a clue how to interpret David's prophecy in the spirit. And that includes the common Jew as well. Well, look at verse 36. Let me ask you, how do you interpret Psalm 110 verse 1? Go ahead, look at it. In your own mind, how do you interpret that verse? Is your life caught up in a political national messiah kingship? Let me put it this way. Is that the way you wish to interpret this verse? as you look at the earthly governments that are in turmoil all over the world right now? Who do you see as the Messiah King in your life? Is Jesus Christ in this text this morning that occupies all your heart, soul, mind and strength and how you live in relationship 
to your neighbor. Remember, that's the passage preceding this. Do you see it? Like David, conform to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead each of us. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. From what position does the Messiah King reign? Ask that right now in your mind. From what position, if you're going to understand this text, from what position does this Messiah King reign? He's at Yahweh's right hand. He's at Yahweh's right hand. Is that in Jerusalem? Is that in Jerusalem? Christ has already pronounced the last judgment upon the den of robbers, the temple. Maybe he will clean up the city and establish his throne in Jerusalem by the end of the week. Not even close. Not even close. Where is his heavenly father's right hand? In heaven. In heaven. Christ is telling them with the voice of David to quit setting your eyes upon an earthly throne and grasp that the Messiah's throne is vertically in heaven. His throne in heaven, his position at the right hand of the Father presupposes what? What must go before the occasion that Christ is reigning from the right hand of his father in heaven. The Messiah's death, resurrection, and ascension. That's what must go before. Has not Christ summarized on three occasions to his disciples his destiny Presenting, presenting itself to him when he goes into Jerusalem. Let me summarize or let me quote once again from chapter 10, verses 33 through 34. He will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. No earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. And therefore, we must interpret Psalm 110 verse 1 in the way Christ interprets that text. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to interpret this text the way Jesus interprets this text. Are each of us grasping and receiving this? Or like the Jewish population, 
do you wish for an earthly domain for Christ's throne? Christ is teaching in the temple that the position of the Messiah's reign, his reign is going to be from his exalted throne in heaven. He will reign there until God's providence, in God's providence, he places all enemies of his gospel, of his church, of his kingdom under his feet. What is about to occur in this final, his, his final week on earth will only have the triumph of the Messiah's death and resurrection and ascension in his heavenly enthronement over every nation. An earthly religion personified in the scribes here in this text, I want you to underline, has no humility. Has no humility. Christ has already described them. A Christian religion that places itself in the political social nuances of the culture. Just listen to those Christians. They're all over the podcasts, all over the internet. Has no humility. They think they know it all about the circumstances of the earth. The humility, the humility of the gospel where the love for God and neighbor is clearly known is only only embraced by the redeemed sinner, giving all one's all in gratitude to Christ, who gave himself for us through his sacred cleansing blood of righteousness and is now reigning from his exalted and humble seat as he, Adonai King was resurrected and ascended in the spirit before his heavenly father. That's humility. That's humility. It's all in Jesus and what he has done. Let me ask you, are you content in your own heart with being in this type of kingdom? 
Are you satisfied with being identified with this type of Messiah? What is your heart? What is your mind? What is your strength responding right now? Are you satisfied? Are you content with Jesus? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, yes, we confess before thee that it is hard for us to navigate in this world as we are pilgrims in this creation, but we ask that you would continue to direct us by your Holy Spirit in thy word through the interpretation of the Lord Jesus Christ about himself, his own kingdom, his own righteousness, his own salvation for the body of Christ, his people. Help us, O Lord, to always be satisfied and content with him reigning from the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that all things are working out according to thy holy, holy will. We praise your name for hearts that love Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.